everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirud Singh. Our guest today is Eddie Serrell, business lead for Stripe Capital and site lead for Stripe's New York office. Stripe Capital provides Stripe's users access to financing with an end-to-end lending API. The capital team also provides Stripe's corporate card for users to handle company expenses. Prior to Stripe, Eddie served as the CEO of Bond Street and the VP of Revenue and Operations at TrialPay. He holds a BA in Philosophy and Economics from Duke University and an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. In today's episode, Eddie and I discuss what makes Stripe so good at offering products to online businesses, how Stripe leverages banking relationships to bring the best products to the table, the impact that Stripe Capital has had on small businesses that it works with, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Eddie, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, Super excited to have you on. How are you doing? Where are you calling in from? Calling in from New York, and thank you so much for having me. Excited for the conversation. Great. And I should have talked to you about this earlier. I'm also in New York. I bet we're a couple blocks away. Uh, We could have done this in person, but alas. Let's just jump right into it. Um, So for listeners who don't know, I would love to hear a little bit about your career to date and how you became involved in financial services and in fintech. Right. Yeah. So kind of right out of undergrad, I was in investment banking and then kind of checked all of the financial services boxes along the way, went to consulting, went into VC for a while, and then kind of went to Wharton for business school. And so it was really coming out of business school that I got into fintech and was to a company called TrialPay for about four years before they sold on to Visa. They're running kind of the revenue side of the business. So it was B2B to C. So it was, it was really sales, account management, and, and BD. And there I was kind of like joining like a, a BC stage business and looking to scale it. And then moved to New York, actually for my wife's job. She, she joined a company called Harry's that was a classmate of mine from Wharton uh, started and then joined up with Bond Street, which is a small business lending platform and was the COO over there really running everything that was kind of not product. So uh, everything on the revenue side of the business, operations and finance, and was there from David's apartment on to, to Goldman Marcus. And then uh, for the last coming up on four years in April, I uh, had been at Stripe and was specifically brought in to, to build the lending business here. And then also kind of run, I'm I'm site lead for the New York office. So I've been building out uh, Stripe in New York, which has been an exciting problem to wrestle with. Yeah, between banking, consulting, and VC, you really checked all the MBA boxes there. That's impressive. (laughs) Uh, I would love to hear a little bit more about your time at Bond Street and any kind of lessons learned helping to scale such a small business. Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, it was a a PowerPoint and an idea that we were going to, you know, start to solve this gap in in small business lending. So over the last, honestly, decades, banks have been lending a a smaller and smaller portion of their loans out to small businesses. And then the process for applying for a loan really had moved forward meaningfully. And so we were looking to start to address that. And we had the kind of a a three-year term loan solution that we were bringing to the States. And as I said, it was a PowerPoint, you had to find your first investor, had to find your first uh, customer and then kind of ladder that up. And then we were doing hundreds of millions and then ended up over at Goldman. I'd, I'd say, you know, one, it's just a, you learn the process in zero to one of, you can write a bunch of pretty PowerPoints and you can uh, have all of these grand visions, but at the end of the day, it comes to finding some customers, really understanding their problem, getting those first couple of proof points, and then Kind of leaning in when you get some sort of a, a lead that you're solving a problem that's that, that needs to be addressed and kind of laddering that up. You know, and then as I look at alternative lending, I think there was a, a number of lessons. One, this is a business that works at scale. 
And so we were certainly scaling within within Bond Street, but you need to be kind of on your way to, into the billions. And I think as a standalone, we didn't have that momentum. And I think it's very important for, for a lending business that you have that ability to, to hit real scale. I would say, especially in lending, kind of building a balanced business, we didn't uh, fall uh, victim to this one, but a lot of alternative lenders focused on growth at all costs and then you know didn't balance out the performance of the portfolio and really make sure that they had really hardened those risk models before they they really scaled them and it's easy to give away money it's much harder to get that money back in, in the lending game and so making sure that you're building a balanced two-sided marketplace that that solves the investors needs as well as the users needs is just critical as you continue to scale and then i think it's the last thing is it's really hard to build a wedge, especially in alternative lending, but in fintech in general, it's easy to, to tack on top of a business model innovation. It's harder to get a true channel for distribution that's a big advantage or a true underwriting advantage in the lending game. And so I think it's just critical that you have a line of sight that you can build a moat or some sort of wedge that would be persistent over time. And I think Bond Street built a great business. We had a wonderful team, but I don't know that we ever found that, you know, that moat that was going to make us truly, truly differentiated. And I think it's just critical that you have a line of sight to that. I recently wrote a paper on ClearCo, uh, formerly ClearBank. And one of the stats that really jumped out to me was it was $1.6 trillion in SME financing demand, of which $1 trillion was met by banks, which means $600 billion isn't met. Um, so it's certainly a need for products like what Bond Street was working on and, and some of the products that Stripe's working on. And we'll get to that more in a second. Um, but first, I would just love to hear what compelled you to join Stripe when you when you first did. Yeah, so I think, so after Bond Street ended up over at Goldman, a lot of what they wanted us to focus on was more on, on the consumer side of, of the world. And I, I was very driven to continue to address this gap that you just were just referring to. And when... I started talking to Stripe about uh, building a, a similar program within the Stripe ecosystem. There were, we talked a little bit about the moats or the, the advantages. Stripe has a huge installed base of users. So there's a, a clear path to get to scale so you can build a differentiated lending platform. You have all of the payments data for those users. So you have a real advantage for both targeting users to get the right offer in front of the right person, as well as underwriting them so that you can advance money that a bank might not advance to certain users. And then because you're in the flow of funds, you can collect a portion of the, the payments volume as a, as a way to ease repayment. All of those are real wedges to build a superior lending business. That's very hard to create as a standalone business. So, so that was just very uh, uh, intriguing for me or really tempting for me to join because it had all of those advantages that we could really solve the problem in a way that Bond Street as a standalone would never have been able to. And then I think just looking at the culture of, of Stripe, it comes through in all of the press around uh, Patrick and John and, you know, the team, but it's, it's truly a user first culture. It's truly an engineering culture and really starting with how do we address a, a problem, break it down from first principles and solve the, the problem for the ecosystem. And I was just excited to, to work with a group that had the talent that they have addressing problems that way and having the advantages to to really build a, a, a superior lending product. I was on Stripe's website a couple of days ago, and I'm obviously aware of the news of all the different products that the team has been offering, but seeing them all laid out on the website, it really hit home. It's, it's broken down between payments products, financial services products, and business operations products, really covering the entire financial stack 
for online businesses. So you hinted at this a little bit with the culture conversation, but what about Stripe makes you so good at creating financial products for online businesses? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with that user-first focus and the willingness to break things down from a first principles perspective. I, I think that truly is the advantage. We are solving our users' problems, and then then we get to work. But it starts with listening to our users. So capital would not exist within Stripe if we hadn't reached out to our users and heard that so we were asking them what the biggest barrier to growth was. And the number one reason that people weren't growing quicker or users weren't growing quicker was access to capital. I think it was over a third of our users said that was the biggest barrier to growth. And so it was started with that user need. And then we said, hey, can we build this better than a standalone could? And, and for all the reasons that we just talked about, I thought we could. And I think you're seeing similar things as we're talking to both our users and our platform partners. You know, when Shopify's thinking about offering a treasury solution, that's a driver for us to kind of build that infrastructure. So it really starts with listening to the users. And then it's like, how do you break down that problem? And, you know, I think going back to that accelerated growth being the driver, we just published some research, but we've seen that actually play out the capital solving that problem. So we've seen, a, a, I think it's 114% quicker growth uh, uh, for users who accept a loan than the ones who, who didn't or kind of like the holdout group. And that just shows that we heard, we heard from users, we were able to address the problem and you're seeing the impact on, on the ecosystem. So I think that, that's really where it all starts from. We'll dive more into Stripe Capital in a second. But first, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the relationship that Stripe's been building with banks. And I, from the outside looking in, I believe that's a new relationship that's being built because the payments product didn't necessarily need this, but a few of the new financial services products uh, do need this. Uh, so can you talk about how those relationships are being built and, and uh, what kind of opportunities and challenges that provides for you? Yeah, so I would actually say that we've always been working with banks. Uh, so if you, if you think about the very early days of Stripe, Stripe payments, you know, the innovation was 10 lines of code and you could, you could start to take, uh, accept payments uh, on your website. The reason why you can just drop in 10 lines of code and it works easily is because we did a lot of work with Wells Fargo to set up the infrastructure to enable that to happen. And then obviously we've been working with a broader cross-section of banks as we've gone international and we've continued to scale. So even the payments business, we work closely with banks to leverage the infrastructure that they've built and really focused on where we can unlock the value of that infrastructure with our, you know, our APIs and all of all of the, the the user UX that we've kind of built on top of that. And I think that that continues to extend to some of these new products that we're looking to to build out. So it's not a Stripe loan; it's a Celtic Bank loan when someone goes to Stripe Capital. But we work very closely with the bank and in, in, in leveraging the advantages that we have, the distribution that we have, the experiences that we can build. And working closely with them to leverage the advantages that they have and kind of like the infrastructure that they already have in place. And so, you know, I think long term, we really see the best path forward is not, you know, rip everything down and build it from scratch. It's about building a really tight relationship with the pre-existing infrastructure, unlocking the value of it with what we can build. Um, so let's keep talking about those advantages that you mentioned, Eddie. So uh, could you just provide an overview of the products that Stripe Capital offers and what gives you the confidence to be able to offer loans to businesses when banks might not be able to do so? Yeah. So first, what is Stripe Capital? Today, we have a, a flex loan product, which is a short-term working capital loan that's usually used for working capital needs. It's hiring new employees. It's investing in marketing. It's buying inventory. 
and sometimes uh, float, if you will, between timing of accounts payable, accounts receivable, and about a term of, of nine, nine months, somewhere six to 12 on the repayment. And we offer that both to our direct users, and then we have a platform form solution to enable our uh, platform partners like a Jobber or a House Call Pro to offer their sub-users access to capital. And essentially, the structure of the product has a couple of advantages that we lean into. So one, distribution, obviously, as you're going to your dashboard and checking what's how your payments volume is performing, you can see the loan, access it, click a button. And then because we already have all of your payment data all the way down to the transactional level, we've basically been able to pre-underwrite that user looking at all of the historical transactional performance. And so instead of going through a six-week application process and going into a, a banking branch to go through an application, you basically click a button, confirm some infor- information, and then in, in as little as 24 hours, the money flows into your account. And then the repayment happens through a percentage of your payment volume. So basically, as users have stronger months, they'll pay back a bit more. But as, as they have weaker months or kind of like the timing of their revenue ebbs and flows over the course of the next 6 to 12 months, the repayment adjusts. So essentially, as our users do do better, we get paid back quicker. And as our, if our users hit any kind of a, a snag along the way, we actually adjust that repayment to align our, our collection on the funds with the performance of the business. So, you know, if you think about those advantages, it's the ease of distribution, the speed of distribution. It's looking at data that a bank might not have. Yes, the bank would see the full transfer of funds, but they wouldn't be able to see it all the way down to a transactional level to do that underwriting. And then because we're in the flow of funds for our users, we can automate away that repayment so they don't have to do any of the managing of the loan and we can adjust that repayment to the performance of the business. So those are really the places where we lean into our distribution data and uh, flow of funds advantages. There's a lot of very sleek things about this product, but the one that uh, always gets me the most is the pre-underwriting of your customers. So once they are looking for the product, it's already there for them. Have you found that your customers are kind of bypassing banks entirely and not waiting to get accepted or declined and, and just coming to you directly? And it, follow on to that question is how do your typical repayment terms compare with the bank's repayment terms? Yeah, so I think it, it depends on the the user and kind of what their financing need is, right? So if you're a store and you're looking to open up another space that needs a very large investment that will take multiple years to pay back, that's not what the flex loan is kind of structured for. And so if you're looking for a large-term loan, that's not what we're solving with this product. If you're looking for a short-term working capital issue, like we are a good fit for it. So I think it does depend on the financing need of our users. But for many, they really value that ease of access and specifically the flexibility of repayments through that the collections on the payment volume that makes it much easier for them to pull down money quickly and easily repay it kind of like without all of the management effort along the way. So, you know, I think it depends on the need, but for, for many of our users, we're, we're solving it. And certainly uh, the ease of access is, is the huge advantage here. And it's, it's no surprise to say that online businesses have seen a huge growth over the past two years and, the world has seen a huge need for online businesses over the past two years. And recently I saw an article that came out about Stripe Capital and its ability to help small businesses grow. 
Uh, but I would love to get some of your perspectives on it. So can you talk a little bit about that, what that article showed and, and how your team was able to make a difference with SMEs? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, this goes back to that uh, barrier to growth being access to capital. So, you know, there's, there's a, a founder, Nick Peterson, who's, who runs a company called Tiny Wood Stoves. And he was in an eight by eight shed. And because he was able to, to access capital for, from us, they've now expanded to nationwide sales. They have uh, two warehouses and a workshop. You know, they're, they're basically able to fund future growth by being able to pull down funds today. You know, similarly, uh, Avita Thomas, who runs a Trinidadian restaurant, was able to move from a ghost kitchen to a br- more of a brick and mortar restaurant because, again, you're able to pull down those future funds and access. So we've seen our users solving a lot of these financing needs to invest in that, that hiring new employees, building out inventory, kind of investing in the, the infrastructure needed to, to grow. And I think that's the big driver behind this 114% increase in, in those growth rates, right? We're seeing a bunch of different use cases because of the flexibility of the product. But in every case, you're basically unlocking growth by pulling forward the, that, that future performance. Yeah, I, I love hearing these specific stories of SMBs that were able to scale like from a shed or from a ghost kitchen uh, to a nationwide product. And it's very cool that you get to see these stories as well. Are you are you seeing this through like conversations with users to help improve the product or like how did you get to hear about all these? Yeah, so I mean, I spoke a little bit about Stripe's user first focus. We spent a lot of time and we call it UXR, but essentially in one to one conversations with our users, understanding where the product's solving problems, understanding where we can improve. And we spend a lot of time with our platform partners in a similar way. And, you know, I, again, I think that's the biggest driver to how we continue to improve our products is is really understanding what our user pain points are. And so it's a, it's a lot of one-to-one conversations. Yes, we'll do the big surveys and, you know, the holdout uh, A-B test because you need some of those numbers to, to quantify what the impact is. But often the insights come out of those one-to-one interactions. And let's keep talking about growth a little bit. So, so where is the team looking to grow next, whether that's geographically or product growth? And this could be a Stripe Capital question or a Stripe as a whole question. Yeah, so I don't have any big announcements here of uh, uh, the the next version of the product or, or the next geo, but I would say high level, again, we're starting with with that user need. And so Stripe is a very diverse ecosystem of entrepreneurs. We have two people in a garage that are starting a startup, and we have very large public companies that are also built on top of us, right? And everything in between, and within that, a broad cross-section of of business models, right? And with that, one financing solution is going to, isn't going to solve it. But I think aspirationally, we're looking to leverage our distribution data and flow of funds advantage to solve as many of our users' financing needs as possible. So I do think over time, you will see us expand into other financial products. You'll see us expand internationally to solve those needs. But exactly which ones we'll launch and in what sequence is, uh, is probably something I shouldn't be talking about yet because I think we're still formalizing some of that or finalizing some of that. That's fair. And given Stripe's history of launching cool, innovative products in a quick succession, I'm sure that we won't have to wait too long for the next uh, next big news. But let's continue to zoom out a little bit and talk about fintech industry as a whole. Uh, I would love to pick your brain a little bit about what excites you about the fintech industry, particularly in the next three to five years? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm excited for a lot of the continuation of the trends that that, that we're already seeing, right? 
you know, a lot of people had said the the move online that had started to max out, and, and then you saw the incredible growth during COVID, and we're seeing continued growth uh, of both new businesses and the migration of transactions online across the economy and across the world. So I think we're going to continue to see that migration from in-person to online. I think we're going to continue to see that that migration towards international and a lot of new businesses not starting in Silicon Valley, but starting in a, from all over the globe and certainly all over the, the country. And I think you're seeing the speed of innovation and the number of new businesses that, that are being started just like really accelerate. So I think you're going to see continued disruption and kind of innovation across this migration online. But I don't know that there's any one place where, where I'd lean into. I'm just excited for the, the speed that's continued to pick up. And on the flip side to that question, are there any fintech verticals that you think might be a little bit overcrowded right now or they're a little bit bearish on or maybe just don't fully understand? So, I mean, I don't know that there's a vertical that I'm bearish on because I think that there's opportunity to innovate really across the board. I, I, I'm a big, big believer in uh, startups and, and, and technology to unlock uh, uh, better solutions to user needs. So I think the place where I'd probably be a bit bearish is there have been, I don't know it's a, a space, it's probably more of a theme, but there's been some kind of old world versus new world that's I don't fully subscribe to. I don't think the fintechs are going to replace the banks. The banks aren't going to go away. I think the the special sauce is in how they work together. And so I think there's, there's a lot more uh, value to be unlocked in collaboration with more traditional infrastructure as well uh, with kind of these new startups and new technology. And I, I think you will see over time people leaning into that collaboration and maybe not following the hyperbole of, of you know, Technology is going to completely replace a lot of that because there's there's so much value that's been built out, and it's really how do we enhance it and how do we collaborate with that that pre-existing infra. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And actually, just before this conversation, I was talking with uh, Wells Fargo Strategic Capital, and a lot of that conversation was about how both banks and fintechs have become much more open to collaborating now than they were maybe in 2010. And the last thing I wanted to do today, Eddie, was just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Uh, with a rapid fire round of questions, hoping to get answers here in about 10 seconds or less. Are you ready to okay. go? I'll do my best. All right, let's do it. So you mentioned getting your MBA at Wharton. Uh, what was your favorite class while you were here? Um, I'd probably say there's an entrepreneurship class where you had to come up with an idea. Um, and it was really working with my classmates on that. So my friend Rob Sebastian, who started Forward, was in my group. Dave Vassin, who, uh, who started Bright Wheel, was in my group. And, you know, it was really kind of like building those relationships and building out uh, the business that was fun to work together on. That is a serious power group that you have formed there. <laughs> Impressive. Uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions? I, I, I need to hold to my gratitude uh, exercises. So I'm a big solve problems person. And as a result, you learn to identify all the problems and I've been trying to set aside time to identify where where I should be grateful to rebalance how I think about things. I love that. And uh, I have recently started, I have a whiteboard in my apartment. And I've recently started to put the list on the whiteboard. So it's always visible, uh, which I think has worked well for me. Um, what is your favorite fintech company other than Stripe? So we've been doing a bunch of work with Ramp and I'm really excited about that team. Wonderful founding team, really, really like the culture there. And I would say 
they're really leaning into solving their users' problems. Uh, a lot of the fintechs that I've seen, unfortunately, look more towards just throwing rewards at, at users or, or just pure distribution. And they're, they're leaning into the product to really solve a unique problem. So I think, I think Ramp's a great company. Very cool. Um, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? When, when I was in consulting on the side, I worked for an academic uh, journal called Topic and so sold adver- advertising space and basically was the COO, CFO there for a while and actually did that with another uh, uh, Wharton grad named Mo, Mo Bende who started a company called Carrot. Um, so big shout out to Mo. He, he's a close friend. You've really been an entrepreneur for, for a while then, given, given that story. Last question for you today, uh, and you can take a little bit longer on this one if you'd like. Uh, what does success look like for you and for Stripe Capital? Yeah, so I, I think I think it aligns with what we were talking about with with what's next for us from a geographic and from a product perspective. Today, we're just scratching the surface of addressing the financing needs for our users. We have one product; it's it's only in the U.S. at the moment. And between both our direct users and our platform partners, there's a broad cross section of funding needs. And you know, over time, I would like to kind of build uh, an infrastructure that can address more and more of our users' needs. So I think that will drive us towards international. I think that will drive us towards new structures of financing. And just really excited to to lean in there, leverage what we've already built, and start to get creative about how we can solve new problems for for our end users. That's amazing. And I I look forward to hearing more about the continued success of Stripe Capital. Uh, Eddie, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap up today's conversation. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, It was a pleasure to have you on and, and hear about your journey to Stripe and all the success the team has had. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to connect. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.